Hello and welcome to this week's Peter Greenwood Show podcast. This isn't a recap of a show that I've done on air. This is a brand new episode exclusively for you podcast listeners, you lucky beautiful people. And what this is, is the 2018 Roundup Show. I'm going to be taking a look back at some of my favourite bits, some of my best guests, and everything in between. Including stuff you've never heard before. Like, you think you've heard it all? Oh, you haven't, my friends. There is so much more. I have got exclusive interviews, extended interviews, and bits you haven't heard before. So, I would ask for your patience for just a few moments while I explain to you very, very quickly how this is going to work. Part 1 is going to be recapping the months from January until April. Part 2 is going to be dropping tomorrow, and it's going to be between May and August. And Part 3, which is dropping on the 31st, is going to be from September until December. So we're recapping the year while we're still in the year. Makes sense, doesn't it? We are going to kick it off because back in January, I went back to my hometown for the first time in a few years, and I was there because my old high school was closing. Campbelltown Grammar School, they built a brand new one, and so I wanted to go down and see what the school was like and say goodbye to it one more time, and I actually got fairly emotional while I was sitting there. Like, there was a point when I was in the main hall, I was sitting on the main stage, where I had sat so many times before. Like, I used to go into the main hall and just sit there and sit on the stage and read or maybe do some classwork or something. And it was a place I kind of spent a lot of time. And I sat on the stage and I looked around exactly where I'd sat when I was in high school, 14 years earlier. And I got really emotional thinking that soon all this is going to be destroyed. It's going to be knocked down. It'll never happen again. I will never sit in this place again. And I got really emotional about it. So we went out into the main foyer and there's a seating area there, which wasn't there when I was in high school. So, you know, lucky. And we sat down and we had a chat about the school, his history with it, my history with it just kind of said goodbye to the place. So this is my interview with my old headmaster, Mr. William Cross. So could I ask you your name and who you are, please? Well, I'm William Cross and I was rector here, what you would call head teacher, from 1992 till 2012. That's a a long shift to put in. It was a long shift. It didn't seem like it at the time. (laughs) (laughs) And when I look back, actually, I mean, it's hard to realise that it'll be seven years this summer, well, six and a bit years this summer since I actually retired. Let's talk a little bit about you starting here, because I remember my... Because you, you were my headmaster. You I was indeed. You were my sister's headmaster, uh-huh. and you were my two y- younger brother's headmaster I as well. I was. Uh, and you started in 1992, which mm-hmm. my sister tells me was her first year in the grammar. Yep. And what was it like when you walked into the building? I mean, we're sitting in the foyer of the grammar here, and it's strange looking around, because so much is the same... And yet it doesn't feel like it's been 14 years since our last walk through the doors. So what's the experience like for you coming back compared to when you first walked in on that first day? When I first walked in on that first day, the first thing that struck me was actually how smart and tidy and fairly attractive the building looked. It's looking worse for wear now because, of course, it's been suffering from planning blight this last three, four, five years with the decision to build the new school and all the work. There's no point investing in this one now. So it has gone a bit tatty around the edges, but it struck me that first day that I came in just how, how good it looked. Secondly, the, the, the staff was, was, was bigger then. Uh, for example, there were four janitors. There were only two four now. Four janitors? Four janitors. And a groundsman, f- as well as the four janitors. Was the groundsman on property? Like some schools you see have cabins on, on the property. Did he live in, in the school grounds? Or no, he, he was just a, a local who came in. But I mean, he was responsible for keeping all the grass cut, for trimming all the shrubs and all the rest of it. He kept the place looking good. And that was that was the the thing that struck me. Having come from a city school, where you didn't have very often playing fields attached, you had to travel on a bus with the pupils to get to playing fields. Here we had everything on site, you know. And as a big staff, I and mean, we had nearly six hundred pupils then. It's somewhere south of four hundred now, just because of the way the population has gone. And. Over your years here, let's talk about numbers a little bit. How many pupils do you think you have taught? 
In terms of, of, of here, well, I mean, the average year group was 100. So at any point, there would be between 550, 600 pupils in the school. And over 20 years, if you do a quick multiplication, that's, what's that, 12,000? I don't want to say I'm bad at maths, but, you know, I... <laughs> <laughs> North of 10,000 anyway. Yeah, that's, a, yeah. that's a significant number. I suppose it is. Um, and th the thing that is interesting when you think of the number is how many of them, first of all, have moved away from the town, obviously. The town uh, has, has uh, got smaller over the years. But Campbellton Grammar School was a great jumping-off point for youngsters of all abilities. They were able to move on from here and find work in a whole range of occupations and professions and... Uh, do well in life. We, I can think of one from this school who is who is now a, a reporter on uh, Reporting Scotland. Um, no names, no pack drill. I know people that have gone on to be doctors and surgeons and uh, radio presenters. Radio presenters, <laughs> indeed. <laughs> uh, Campbellton Grammar School has always been a good school, and I don't take credit for that because I was rector for a time. I think right back to the days when I was a pupil in, in the old, old school down in the, the town. Um, it was always a place that produced well-qualified, well-motivated people and sent them out into the world to, to find something productive to do. I want to talk a little bit about my years in the school, which I'm mm. not sure how well you remember. I remember you and I, we got on fairly well. Like, I only remember one major dust-up between you and I, and that was... Probably over uniform. <laughs> it wasn't uniform. I, I never wore anything but uniform, because my mother insisted on Your uniform. mother insisted. What it was is, I'd come in one morning, and I'm not going to name names, but somebody had reported that I moved his school bag. Oh, I see. And I was marched into your office, <laughs> and I was like, I, I wasn't even here. I didn't even do it. And it all got sorted out very quickly, and you apologised, but... Mm. That was one of many memories I had uh, with you. I think that's an important thing uh, for people in the position that I held to remember, that when you get something wrong, you should apologise for it. And not everyone does. I'm not holding myself up to be any paragon here. But one of the things that I like to impress on the staff was if they turned a stone over and found something not very nice underneath, don't just put the stone back. Deal with it. You know, Deal with what's underneath. And if you discover that, in fact... Amongst the things squirming underneath the stone are things that you did that weren't quite right. Put them right first and apologise for having done it. And that's a remarkable attitude to take as an educator and somebody who was in charge for building. Well, one of the things about teachers in general and, and uh, people who rise to elevated positions in the teaching profession is that a lot rides on your authority and a lot rides on your ability to, to say you know, do it my way. I, I'm a great, I used to be a fan of what I called the Sunshine School of Management, which is, you know, right sunshine, just do it. You know? <laughs> <laughs> but but I, I, but I think uh, it, what you must understand is that your authority is not diminished when you get something wrong, when you admit that you've done that. Your authority is actually enhanced by saying, hang on a minute, I don't think I got that quite right. And if we can get that over to young folk too, if we can get young folk to see that sticking to their guns is not always the best policy and that being aware of the benefits that can flow from saying, let's rewind and start this again, you know. Yeah, a lot to be gained from it. From looking inside and seeing what you can take out, maybe changing the flow a little yep, bit. Yep, yep. With the school going away, I mean, you, you told me earlier, off air, it was closing were in the beginning of February. How do you look back on your time here? I look back at a great many happy moments. Um, we did huge fundraising as a school. It was always part of our ethos that we recognised there were people less fortunate than ourselves and we tried to do something to help them. We, in one day alone, would raise £13,500 for children in need. One wee school of 550-odd pupils. You know? That says that not just everything about Calmertown Grammar, but Kintyre but as a Kintyre whole. But Kintyre as a community, the way in which they take a cause to their hearts and, and do something positive for it. Lots of happy thoughts like that. My view of education was always that it wasn't just what happened in classrooms, 
that you made the whole person. And if there was someone who was good at playing the pipes or the trumpet or singing or dancing or at sports or whatever, or, or at cooking in home economics, making a cake, these sorts of things, were as much, you, you had to bring that out of the person every bit as much as their geography or their history or their English or their maths. It was important that the whole person got the chance to flourish. And that was, all, that was the, the view of the head teacher, the, the rector, as we call it here, H Hector Mackenzie, who was rector in my time as a pupil. He saw this as being important, that schools weren't just exam factories, that you tried to give people the chance to see things beyond themselves, things that they'd never thought of doing, but if they had a chance to taste them and see that they actually quite enjoyed them, it might take them off in an entirely new direction and, and be to the good, you know. Um, so that was my philosophy. It, the school is not just about passing exams. It's also about passing exams, but it's not just about passing exams. It's about everything else you can give young folk to do and to be and to keep with them all the rest of their lives. Because they will remember how to play a particular sport or to play a particular instrument or to paint a particular style of painting long after they've forgotten all the French they learned and all the, all the quadratic equations they ever did. These things stay with them and they make them the rounded person that they become. And if you could say, if this building was alive, if you could say one thing to this building, what do you think you'd say to it? I think I want to say to it, thank you. I mean, I, I went to the old grammar school down in the, in the town. Which is uh, the community hall now. The community centre. And believe me, the facilities barely merit the description facility. They were rudimentary, to say the least. You know, we had running water, but not always was it hot. You know? <laughs> <laughs> and... and Coming into this building compared to that, yeah, the, the way in which it provided the framework within which all these things I've been talking about could come to fruition makes me want to say to this building, thank you, well done, you served as well. After 20 years, I'm going to call you William Crossan. I'm going very to thank welcome you for to your do time, so. William Crossan. Peter, lovely to see you again today. Lovely to see you. Thank you. All the best. That was my old headmaster, Mr. William Cross, and he retired a few years ago, but he was there to say goodbye to the grammar. If you're just joining us, then I wonder how you're just joining us, because this is a podcast. This is the Peter Greenwood Show. This is the recap of 2018, all the best bits, stuff you've never heard. And from January, we go into February, because February was... How do I say this nicely? a complete nightmare of the month. It was really awful. And one of the worst things about February is, if you remember back, there was the Stoneman Douglas High School shooting. And this is how I opened the show after the shooting had taken place. Hi everyone, welcome to the Peter Greenwood Show this week. It's not going to be the typical show like I like to do, because I try to keep this funny, I try to keep it entertaining, but after this week's shooting in Florida, it just didn't feel right to come out here and dance around and act the clown. We're still going to have fun, because I think that's important, I think that's very serious, and we need to try and get to that, but it j I just wanted to take a moment to talk about it, because here's what we know at the moment. Uh, 17 people have been killed by an individual, and as you'll know, after one of these things, I never say the name of the person who's done it, because that's the thing, is that I'm now in a position where I have to repeat a position that I've stated in the past. There have been so many of these that I have to remind you of these things, but the individual, he went into the high school, he shot 17 people, there are still over 12 in intensive care, and naturally, I did it online. I said I'm uh, sending love and hope to Florida. And people are sending their love and their prayers. Which is... Here's the thing, is that that's nice, okay? It's nice for people are taking the time out to respond to this and to express their feelings. But are we not at a point where if people are sending out hopes and prayers, is it working? I've got a better idea. How about you just get rid of guns? Or is that too much of a good idea? 
I'm just I'm just making these points. I just call it as that's easy. You know me. But yeah, so that's what I wanted to open the show we're talking about. I'm going to ask you to send love and and all that kind of thing down to Florida because I just don't know what to say anymore. I thought after Sandy Hook in 2012, after the Colorado shooting, after the Pulse nightclub shooting, after the Las Vegas shooting, how many more times can I come on the air and say about staying positive and sending love to people who need it? I just don't know. And I don't know why this has happened this time. And it's undoubtedly going to happen again. After that, in February, I actually had quite a good experience, something which was very memorable at the time and actually meant a lot to me, is what I'm trying to say. The band Bowling for Soup were a big part of my life growing up. I listened to them religiously. And so in February, I got to meet Jarrett Reddick, the lead singer from Bowling for Soup. And this is going to be slightly different because this is the complete unedited audio from beginning to end. From the moment I pressed record, from the moment I pressed stop, this is everything. So please enjoy my interview with Jarrett Reddick from the band Bowling for Soup. I was going to ask you, start by asking you your name and who you are. Hi, um, I'm Jarrett. I'm from the band Bowling for Soup. Happy to be here. Welcome to Glasgow. Thank you. Good to be here. Yeah, man. Uh... One of our favorite cities to play, and the fact that we get to do it first on this tour, is, uh, it's awesome. Let's talk a little bit about the tour. It's the Get Happy Tour, mm-hmm. and you're doing Drunk Enough to Dance in its entirety. How did the idea for the tour come around, and why this album now? Well, lots of celebrations happening tonight. I mean, um, you know, it, it came... I, there's been talk of us trying to do the whole Drunk Enough to Dance album in its entirety for quite a few, quite a, quite a while. It just started to make sense. I mean, we're bringing the Get Happy Tour back uh, after 11 years. Uh, Army of Freshmen are celebrating their 20th anniversary as a band. I'm celeb- we're, so, and it's the 15th anniversary of Drunk Enough to Dance. So, you know, it kind of all worked out. Let's bring the Get Happy Tour back. Let's do Drunk Enough to Dance and, uh, you know, and make it the happiest bill that we've ever done. And we managed to do it. I remember being a kid and hearing about the Get Happy Tour and thinking, I want to go to that, I want to go right. to that. And, and now, now I'm here, but what's it like bringing it back for you? Is it emotional? Is it is it fun? It's weird because there's so much, like I said, there's so much to do. So just doing the Drunk Enough to Dance album for us has been, you know, some of those songs we haven't played since we recorded them. And we recorded that album in 2002. So, you know, I mean, there, there's been a very long time in between now and then and having to go back and remember those. So I think we've been so focused on that, that the whole idea of the Get Happy has sort of been like a secondary thing to us. Uh, that said, it's been awesome watching the fan response to it because so many people were here 11 years ago. And, and like you said, some people were too young to come and are getting to be here for the first time. So who knows? You know, I think it's going to be uh, I think it's going to be an awesome celebration for the eight days that we're here and. And, uh, you know, exciting stuff. And what's it like being back out on the road again with the guys? Because you've all, you haven't gone anywhere, you haven't split up or anything, but what's it like being back in a venue like this with the Aquabats, for example? Yeah, you know, um, oh boy, is that going to mess you up? A little bit, sorry. Yeah, let's, uh, you can kick that, uh, yeah, would you need, thank you, sorry about that. I'm so sorry to be vindictive. No, 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 that's fine. Is that better? That's much better. Okay, awesome. So, I mean, you know, it's funny. We we toured with the Army of Freshmen so much back in the day, and it's, I think, you know, they, they went on to do their own thing. We've been doing our own thing. Um, the Aquabats, we've never toured with them before until just this last um, fall. We went, we did the Warp Tour cruise together, mm-hmm. and uh, so it was great seeing them. We've been big fans, No, not kidding, huge Aquabats fans forever. I mean, they were one of our bands that we listened to all the time. In fact, they were on the Get Happy Tour um playlist that's playing in between bands we had to go back and delete their songs off it because they may play them tonight (laughs) (laughs) and is it good to be in a position now where you can just go out and road and have fun and you know the fans are going to come and have a great time yeah i I I talk about that a lot i you know it is one of those things where i I do remember being you know that for so many years just nervous that people would even show up to the shows and we're really lucky to to be able to at least we know some people are going to be here so yeah it's that that just takes one level of pressure off 
and uh, allows us to you know relax a little bit and just and, and have a great time one of the things i always loved most about you guys is just the sense of fun you had as a band yeah. like take i, w- I want to take you a trip down memory lane for right. example the video for girl all the bad guys uh-huh. one yeah what was it like being in that era and do you look back at it like look at how far we've come as yeah. a band as friends well, it was a crazy time because, you know, that's sort of like the beginning of the rise. You know, I mean, we I, I always say there was never really one thing that happened to our band that like just catapulted. It's always been a steady climb. And I like it that way because there's no there, it doesn't really feel like there's that the that the floor is going to drop out from under us. It, you know, it feels like we can sort of just stay here as long as we want. But, um, you know, doing that video is our first video that we ever had, like a, a real budget to do it. And um you know, I mean, it was it was crazy. I mean, I, there there was no way of knowing that that would have done as well as it did. But thank God it did. <laughs> and I have to know, this is something I wondered as a fan watching the videos. Um, in your music videos, you pay homage mm-hmm. to some characters, shall we sure. say? Yeah. Has there what's the feedback been like from those people? For example, <laughs> oh Fred Durst, right? Shall we say? Well, I can tell you, Corey Taylor loves it. Uh, really? Yeah, see, he's and he's a friend and a great guy and a Bowling for Soup fan and uh, you know he's he's a good guy. But he, you know, we sort of made them the heroes of the of the video. But they they thought it was hilarious. Um, uh, Fred Durst was not happy. Uh, Aaron Lewis was not happy. Aaron Lewis Lewis and I though did have a chance to meet at Reading Reading Festival and had a conversation about it. And we're all good. You know, he's uh, he's he's a lovely guy and a great songwriter and. You know, I, what I told him, I was like, you know, if you wouldn't have been the face of that kind of music and all over MTV, I wouldn't have made fun of you. So really, it's the it's the greatest form of respect. That's why I saw it. Like, I didn't see it as you guys making fun of those guys. I just saw it as you guys including yeah. people who were of the moment <laughs> yeah. at that time. That's that's why I saw it. We were for sure making fun of them. But, um, <laughs> you know, I mean, we were definitely making fun of them. But the thing is, is that it, I, I think we tried to do it in a way to where they would think that was funny. But, you know, I mean, you can't win them all. That's true. And can you believe that it's been 15 years since Drunk Enough to Dance? No, I mean, it, it's whenever we started to work work up the album, we started to advertise this tour, you know, I was just like, I, it, it's weird. It's, it's strange to think that it's been 15 years since Drunk Enough to Dance. It's strange to think that we've been a band 24 years, you know. Um, it goes by fast, you know. People people say, you know, all the time, you know, make sure you soak it up as you go. And I I really feel like we did. We like we I I always told the guys, you know, like don't take any of it for granted, you know. Never ever, you know, just always know that it could end at any moment. And that's the way that we've done our lived our professional life. And you know. Uh, luckily we've we've taken time to sit and enjoy it and uh you know and and because of that i think we're still going strong the last album was out in 2016 Mm -hmm. is there talk of a new one what's happening with bowling for soup now well we're sort of reigniting drunk dynasty right now um you know we didn't because that album kind of it came out we were so busy doing other stuff we didn't really pay a lot of attention to it so we released catalyst a song off there as a single now uh that video just came out like literally in the last few days um and so we're gonna release a couple more singles off of that while we're doing this tour we have a tour of texas coming up and uh warp tour this summer and then we'll start thinking about new music how do the crowds differ from i mean state to state but country to country i mean how Mm. would the texas crowd react compared to how you expect the scotland crowd to react well it's just a little bit more low-key like a texas crowd it'd be around the same amount of people um like say if we played dallas or something but it's not quite the same energy it's just a different culture musically um and you know the same is true in all countries japan and and whatever you know i've said it before i mean i think i think uh people of the united kingdom are the greatest music fans in the world you just are you're the best crowds you're the most accepting of all genres like i I, it's so cool that you know you can ask a kid like who are your favorite bands and they'll be like bowling for soup and rage against the machine you know it's just not really like that in all parts of the world so i i just again we're we're blessed that it's worked so well for us over here um, and you know, I, I love my Scottish shows, so I'm, I'm excited. This is the first one. 
Thank you so much for your time today, Jared. Any final thoughts you'd like to share with us today? Uh, just, uh, you know, check out the new video for Catalyst. Um, I, I wrote and directed it, and uh, I'm super proud of it. And check out my podcast, Jared Goes to the Movies. And do you have a podcast? I do, yeah. Oh. So, and uh, follow us everywhere, all, all the Bowling for Soup stuff. Lots of fun stuff happening all the time. Thank you for your time today. Ah, thank you. So with February out of the way, that brings us nicely on to March. And I believe it was March when I brought back the top 10 list. I'd done the top 10 list on the old show, The Big Drive Home. And basically, if you ever saw David Letterman's late show top 10 list, it's exactly the same thing. I I pull no punches about it being the exact same thing as David Letterman's top 10 list because, you know what? I miss Dave. I miss Dave a lot. I wish Dave was still on television. So this is kind of my way of homaging David Letterman. So I've picked two of my favourite top ten lists, and we're going to hear them now. The top ten best things about Scotland. Here we go. Number ten. The deep fried any single thing you like. That's a good thing about Scotland. Number nine. Free vomit with every purchase of haggis. Of course, you need to work through and get the vomit, but, you know, it's a good deal. Free vomit. Number eight. We build towns on volcanoes. Up yours, nature. Number seven. Nessie is real. I'm not kidding. Nessie is real. Number six. On the list of the top ten best things about Scotland, we have hipster cows. Number five. The kilt. Am I right, ladies? And a few you fellas. Am I right? Number four, our peacocks have attitude and will take over your town whether you want them to or not. Number three, we are not afraid of Trump, no matter how much he would like us to be. Number two, your Ken is not just Barbie's boyfriend. And number one on the list of the best things about Scotland... This is Glasgow. We'll shit about you. (laughs) Yay. Right, it is time for this week's top ten list. And this week's top ten list comes to us from the Commonwealth Games. Because they wrapped up in Australia this morning, so now the next games is in 2022. In Birmingham. Glasgow. The Gold Coast. Birmingham. One of these things is not like the other. Anyway, this is a list that I managed to find. This is real. You know what I'm saying? This is the top 10 events rejected from the 2018 Commonwealth Games. Number 10, granny tossing. Number 9, 100 meter farting championships. Number 8, shed building. Number 7, cat cuddling. Number 6, window washing. Can you imagine Commonwealth window washing? And he's putting the soaps on, and he's putting the suds on, and he's mopped it down, and he wins gold for washing a window. Oh, but there is a streak. The judges will not be pleased with that. That will be a five-point reduction. Number five on the list of the top ten sports rejected from the Commonwealth Games. Polo, except instead of you riding the horses, the horses ride on you. Number four, how many cans of ravioli can you eat? I would win that one. Nobody wants to eat nine cans of ravioli. Number three, octopus wrestling. Number two, Quidditch. And number one on the list of the top ten games rejected from the Commonwealth Games, strip sumo wrestling. With the return of a top ten list, it also proved how bad I was at counting backwards from ten to one. It was surprisingly difficult, believe it or not, or maybe I am just an idiot. Now, with March also came a bit of a thing that I did, because I try to keep the show light and funny, as I say, but in March, I took part in a campaign, and the campaign was to help raise the Nancy Glenn fishing boat that had sunk in January. So I had a little bit of a problem because, if you will remember, in March there was also the weather. And listen to me explaining what happened. Last week's show, I was here, I was ready to go on air, and then it started again. It started again? It started snowing again, is what I mean. So I had to postpone last week's show, so I do apologise for that. And one of the reasons I'm apologising is because I was going to talk about the Nancy Glen. The boat sunk on the 18th of January, it's from Tarbert, and the reason I'm talking about it is because 
When I was a little guy, I used to live in Tarbet, out at the manse at Kilberry. If you know the area, you know what I'm talking about. And so the fishing boat, the Nancy Glen, capsized. It caused headlines all over Scotland. And there's been a song released to make people aware of it. It got to number nine on the iTunes charts and number one on the Amazon Music charts. And there's been news this week. There's been talk about the Scottish government getting involved to help. There's been fundraisers to help the family. And I support fully all those efforts. But there's been news this week that people have been waiting for, which is that there's going to be work started to raise the boat. This week they started to move debris. And I'm I'm not going to get too deep into it to spare the feelings of the family and anybody in Vieri who, who may be listening. But they're going to start removing debris from around the boat, which is necessary before it can be lifted up. So that's been going on this week. No actual word, as far as I know, of the last update or when they're actually going to attempt to raise the boat. But it's something that I wanted to talk about and something that I thought was important to bring to this audience and to the audience who's listening in Kintyre. And I know you're listening and I know you're out there and I thank you for listening to this show. And I wanted to play the song. It's called Please Bring Our Boys Back Home. It was written by Silvio Giganti, I believe is how you pronounce his name. My apologies if I'm getting it wrong.
About a month later, in the middle of April, the Nancy Glen was raised, the boys came home, and they went back to their families. And I'm just happy I could do even just a little amount, just playing the song was enough for me. And that brings us on to our next compilation, because one of my favourite things to do in the show is something I call the fails, which is where I find the worst stories from around the world, and basically I make fun of people who've taken part in them. Drunk people, silly people, people who thought something was a good idea at the time, and it all turned to shit. And I can say that because this is a podcast, so, you know, I'm not going to get in trouble with any broadcasters. Hey, hey. So, this is a compilation of the best fails from January until April. I haven't done these in a year. Aren't that so funny? Right, let's talk about what happened while I was off air, because you may have heard about what happened in Hawaii, and how a a Hawaii agency accidentally sent out a text that... You know, told the nuclear war was coming, but it wasn't, and everyone had a good laugh about it. Well, here's the thing, is that there is an agency in Hawaii. It's called Hawaii's Emergency Management Agency. And what they did is they've been doing all kinds of press photos and things of that nature, and it's been revealed through complete accident that this organization keeps the passwords for its computer on post-it notes under the computer. And it gets better, my friends. Oh, it gets so much better. Because you see these people... Because you see, people on Twitter have found a way to zoom in and worked out what the password was. Now, the password is... I don't actually know if I can legally tell you or not. There may be something in Ofcom regulations that mean I, means I can't tell you. But if you search online, you can find it, is what I'm saying. But you won't actually get anywhere because they claim that it's part of an internal application and you need to be wired into the Hawaii Emergency Management Agency's computers. So unless you're in Hawaii, in that building, you're not going to get very far, is what I'm saying. But who actually does that? I mean, do you, do you not memorize passwords? Even if you don't memorize passwords, do you not, like, make them easy enough to be remembered? Who actually does that? I wonder how many people, and I wish I could do a study, but there's no real way to know it without you actually telling me your password. How many people actually have the password 1234 or ABCD or something of that nature? That might be worth looking into. I'll look into that at some point. So, that's happening if you're in Hawaii. Here's a bit of a top tip for you. Guard your passwords better, okay? That's all I'm saying. Alright, let's move on. To where else? Our favourite state in the nation, Florida. We're going to talk about our buddy Bill. He is 51... He is 50... Nope. We're going to talk about our buddy William. And you know how I use the name Bill for any stories that don't have a name? This guy is actually named William, so... Billy! Good deal. Bill is 61 years old, and he first called 911 around 1.30 in the morning. And when he was asked what his emergency was, he said his wife is a black widow spider. Not that there's a black widow spider in his house. Not that he thought she'd been attacked by a black widow spider. He was calling her a black widow spider. He actually thought his wife had become a spider. So the police turned up at his house, and would you believe me if I told you he'd had a couple of, a few too many? Which is ironic, as he'd written a book back in 2009 called The Alcoholic's Guide to Adventure. So the police turned up at his place, they looked over it, they found out that he'd had a couple of bits too, couple of bits too much, and he was charged with misusing the 911 system and was fined $500. That also includes prior convictions for battery and drunk driving as well. So, you know, going well. Good for you, William. Keep it up, my friend. And that's how we do that. That is the fails. (laughs) Right, these stories may be among my favorite that we've covered this year so far. It's only February, but already they are 
first class. Let me tell you how good they are. Let's start off talking about Lonnie. Lonnie is 19 years old. He is from Pennsylvania. And he did a bunch of drugs last month. He did acid. And that got him a little crazy in the head because he started destroying his family's trailer. Now they were trying to cool him down, get him get get him get him on get him under wraps, so to speak. But he tried to attack them. And then the family dog got involved. The dog bit him. So he decided to cover himself in cooking oil when the police showed up. He jumped outside, running around naked in the snow. So then they tased him. But the thing about being on acid is that apparently he didn't feel anything because he just yanked the, yanked the taser out. Just kept on running around in the snow. Now eventually he got called outside. <laughs> As he would, remember he's running around naked. Uh, so he went back inside the trailer where he was arrested. But it took a while because they couldn't get him in for cuffs because he was slippery because of the cooking oil. He's been charged with 24 different misdemeanors. But his family are very, very nice people and don't want to press charges. So he's just facing two counts of disorderly conduct and resisting arrest. He had to have spent about two weeks in jail though, but with the cooking oil, might not have been a bad visit. That's all I'm saying. Right. This next star I want to talk about is... Uh, how do I say this nicer? I'm just going to get into this. Let's talk about Nick, shall we? He is from West Yorkshire. And he was running a karaoke evening. So he thought he'd have himself a Red Bull. And he folded the Red Bull up with a monster. Then back to the Red Bull and so on and so forth. And he ended up suffering a brain hemorrhage. And three mini strokes after drinking 25 cans of Red Bull and monster energy drink. Nick is 56 years old and he said, Those drinks nearly killed me. I was so close to death and thought I might not make it through surgery. They should not be sold. They are as bad as drugs and should be banned. Now, hear my whole thing. I'm... That's not good, okay? But if you go around drinking 25 cans of anything, you're gonna have trouble... Problems? Problems and trouble? That's how bad it is. You get problems and trouble. You get problems. So, surely, the problem here should be on Nick. Not the people who made the energy drinks. Because that's what he's saying. He's saying they're as bad as drugs and should be banned. Well, <laughs> to you, Nick. That's all I have to say, just... <laughs> you drink 25 of the things... You kind of get what's happening. You know what I mean? You all know what I mean. <laughs> now, Vanity Fair. For those who don't know, Vanity Fair... It, well, how would you describe Vanity Fair? It's like a magazine, like a lifestyle magazine, I guess. And Vanity Fair got together with a whole bunch of people who are doing good around the awards seasons this year. Like, you've got the Oscars coming up, so we had photos... A big group photo. It had Oprah Winfrey, it had Reese Witherspoon. And somehow, during the post-production phase, Vanity Fair managed to give Oprah Winfrey three arms, and they gave Reese Witherspoon three legs. Now, they're saying Oprah's arm was a mistake, but they're, they're denying they had anything to do with Reese Witherspoon's third leg because they say that it's just the the lining of her dress, which, if you look at the photo, is absolute nonsense. That you are at it, Vanity Fair. You are at it, okay? Uh, they did say in a tweet, while we would have loved the exclusive on Reese Witherspoon's three legs, unfortunately it's just the lining of her dress. As for Oprah, how can we expect her to juggle it all with just two hands? We are correcting this error online. Don't though! Don't! Don't, don't, don't! I want I want Reese Witherspoon to have three legs. I want Oprah to have three arms. I want... That's what I want! Make Give me what I want, Vanity Fair, even though you're not my audience and I don't really read 
well, obviously, I don't read you because it's not for me, but you're not my audience. But get, come on, just leave it as is. Let it be broke. Just be like, yes, we are giving we are giving Reese Witherspoon three legs. Deal with it. So that made me laugh. It's brilliant. You should, you should look up a picture online. It's all over the place. It's, it's brilliant fun. Now, let's imagine it's late night in Fazalpur Ban Badli Village in India. And you're just chilling in your house when all of a sudden you hear a massive thud outside. And so naturally, being in the village, you come out to investigate what had happened. And you find a massive, massive boulder laying on the ground. It looks huge, okay? So you think it's a UFO and you take it home and you look after it because you think you've gotten something from space. It's a, it's a meteor. It hit our village and here we are. We can keep it. Not so much because according to the Indian Meteorological Service, it turns out that it wasn't an asteroid. Turns out it wasn't an asteroid from space. It was a close encounter of the third kind. Apparently what happened is a plane flying overhead. Bed being a flush. And here's the thing. Is that it's a myth and it is only a myth because airplanes don't actually dump human waste from the toilets. Okay? That doesn't happen. But what does happen is that when planes land, they're emptied. The tanks are emptied. And sometimes the the hole around the tank isn't cleaned properly. So the plane takes off, that freezes over, it gets too heavy, drops off the plane, bonk onto the ground. So that is what happened. And it gets even worse for some people who decided to keep it cool by putting it in their refrigerators. For a start off, why would you keep an asteroid from space in your refrigerator? It's from space. Space is cold enough, okay? For a second... Why? Uh, I don't know, okay? But there you go. That's what happened. So that's how we do that. That is the fails. Now, if you know anything about me or anything about this show, you will know how much I love space. I do a lot of space things. In fact, there's actually a space thing coming up on part three, so stay tuned for that. But this is April, and in April, NASA announced they were launching a probe to the sun. And this was my reaction to it. Long-time listeners of this show will know that... How do I say this nicely? I love space. Space is brilliant. I want to go to space more than I want to do most things, okay? In fact, you may remember, on the old show, I set a world record which hasn't actually been acknowledged by anybody because I'm kind of, you know, I haven't told anybody about it. I became the owner... No. I became the first radio show to become an owner of a piece of land on the moon. That's real. That really happened. I have a certificate that says I own a piece of land on the moon. So, from the moon to the sun. Because we're going to mess around with NASA a little bit. What NASA are doing is they're launching something called the Parker Solar Probe. It is a mission to get closer to the sun to the sun than any mission has done before. Uh, they say, this probe will journey to a region humanity has never explored before. This mission will answer questions scientists have sought to uncover for more than six decades. Such as, why is the sun so hot? Answer, because it's the sun. It's what it does. Anyway, point is, is that they are allowing you to put your name into... A memory stick into a memory card which will go onto the Parker Solar Probe spacecraft. So what I thought I'd do right here, right now, on the air, as we speak, I thought I would put our name down. Because I like to think of us as a team here on the Peter Greenwood show. And so I thought that's what we'd do. So let's begin. First name, the Peter. I misspelled my own name. P-E-R-E-R. P-E-T-E-R. Last name, Greenwood Show. Put in my email, peter at pulseonair.co.uk. This is real, by the way. This is really happening. This will be going on a spacecraft to the sun. 
confirm email address peter at pulseonair.co.uk. Be, be a part of a first mission to touch the sun. Submissions will be accepted throughout April 22nd. And if you want to get in on this, you can. Just search Parker Space Probe or go online to the Twitter and NASA will tell you more about it. So let's click submit. Here we go. Submitted. Thank you for your submission. An email address will be sent. And while we wait for that email to come in to confirm that our place on the spacecraft is happening, let's take a quick break. I'll be right back after this. Stay with us, won't you? We're going to the sun! The time is 23 minutes past six. This is the Peter Greenwood Show and I am in such a good mood. If you're just joining us, you've missed the giggles. I like messing with NASA on this show because I want to go to space so badly. But NASA won't let me go, at least they won't hire me, so until they do, I'm going to keep messing with them on this show. And one of the things they've done is, if you missed it, I'll, I'll do a quick refresh for you. There is a probe called the Parker Solar Probe, which is going to the sun, and what they're offering is if you put your name in, they will take put your name on a memory card which will go to the sun. And so what I did is I put our name down, the Peter Greenwood Show, and I've gotten an email... It says, your submission for the Peter Greenwood show was received. To confirm and complete your submission, click on the link below. So I haven't clicked on it yet. I've just clicked on it. Waiting for it to load. Thank you for requesting to be part of the first mission to touch the sun. Click below to confirm your submission. Your name has been successfully added. Oh, I've got a certificate. Oh, hang about. Oh, that is top notch. Right. I've got, a t I've got a certificate here. This participation certificate is presented to the Peter Greenwood Show on April the 8th, 2018. Thank you for joining the first mission to touch the sun. A memory card containing your name will be included on the Parker Solar Probe spacecraft. How cool is that? We're going to the sun! Brilliant! <sighs> See, if you just give me a job, NASA, I wouldn't have to do this. That's all I'm saying. I mean, I'm not saying, but I'm just saying. And that, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, and every single body in between is it for this first part of the 2018 roundup. But coming up tomorrow is where it starts to get interesting. I've got Tessa Violet. I've got Becca Blogger on the show when we talked about the band. I've got some more top 10 lists and our friend Hannah Layton Turner from Hannah's Yard, all unedited. All exactly the way the Lord intended, where it was cut for broadcast time or bits were cut out for reasons. There is so much more to come on this show. So thank you very much for your time and your patience today. I will see you in the next part of the Peter Greenwood Show 2018 Roundup. Until then, bye or brother bye. But I could be a crush. This is the Peter Greenwood Show. Hi, um, I'm Jarrett. I'm from the band Bowling for Soup. This is Chris James. Hi, I'm Lauren Aquilina. My name is Ola Gartland. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome a band man, Rob Broderick, to the show. I'm Sunny. Please welcome to the show from Still Game, Jane McCarry. Hi, everybody. My name is Tessa Violet. And this is the 2018 Year Roundup. I could be a crush, crush.